You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Radio Free Oleander is a showcase of the people of Oleander, Oregon. The views reflected on Radio Free Oleander are not necessarily the views of KZOM 1130 AM. Thank you for listening. Please join Radio Free Oleander now with Dave and DB. Hey everyone, welcome back to Radio Free Oleander. I am DB. And I am not sure where I'm supposed to put this box. Uh, you should put it over here, over by... Yeah, no, that... <laughs> yeah, right there's fine. Okay. Cool. And uh, yeah, uh, Dave's helping me move everything into the house out in the graveyard. So we're, we're, we're trying to come up with a cool name for it. I mean, other than, I think it says crematorium. It's a, I mean, it, it's a nice little house. I mean, it's small, but it, it really, what it, it looks small next to the mansion. Yeah, well, no, it's just as small. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah, hey, here we are in August. Oleander. It is hot. It is hot. I. It's not the hottest place in Oregon, but it feels like it. These. I mean, it just. It's just hot. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the river, Clackamas River. That's kind of. It, a. It's humid, but it's kind of nice too. You can go down to the river. Yeah. If it gets yeah. too hot. Yeah. No. So, um, the nice thing about this house is it has a very, very large basement. Uh, the basement's larger than the house. And it's really cool down there, so I think me and the family are going to hang out in the basement a lot this summer. That's, that's nice. I was thinking it would make a great gaming room. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll probably have family to room. do the gaming upstairs in the hot house while the family hangs out down in the basement and watches TV. Anyway, but yeah, no, uh, really starting to find my way around Oleander. Very bikeable, very walkable, but it's also kind of a small town, so it's very bikeable, yes. very walkable. Not too big at all. Yeah, so um, again, Dave, thank you so much for helping me move and everything. Um, I'm going to pick up some pizza. I have to, okay. you know, can you tell me some places in town, if I'm going to get pizza, where should I go? Well, there, there really is only one pizza place here. Oh. And that, that is the pie hole. Yeah. And they, they might be like a couple bucks more uh-huh. than what you'd pay like in Portland. Sure. But they, they, they will pretty much, it's a lot like, you know, some of those gourmet type pizzas, you know, the, you know, the places like around Powell's or, you know, around uh, Hollywood theater where they, they make specialized pizzas. Sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, you can, you can pretty much get anything you want on a pizza. Okay. Uh, and, um, and uh, they will be delivered. Um, um, Javier, who he is a cool guy. You may have seen his car. He's the guy that's got that really tricked out '76 uh, El Camino. Cool. Okay. He um, he he well he wears a mask. Okay. And not 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 really. So there's a lot. So he he wears luchadora mask. Oh right. Uh, and um, so I don't know. There's a lot. Of, he, he's really. He's, um, but this, and I know from talking to him, you know, we were talking about mountains and he was describing mountains. I go, well, well, where was that? He goes, well, Afghanistan. And so I know he did a, like a tour in Afghanistan. Okay. And he did a tour in, um, in Iraq. All right. Um, uh, and so have you, you, you've, 
you you know special forces are no kind of about special forces, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, do you know what uh, uh, Delta Force is? A uh, movie with Chuck Norris. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but there's also apparently a military unit called uh, Zulu Force. Okay. Which <laughs> he won't talk about it, but I found a few things online. And apparently they deal with special, unusual, not normal issues. And the, the story is he got his, his face kind of messed up. And that's why he wears the, the luchadora mask, but makes the best pizza in town. And, and he guarantees, his guarantee is when you hang up, 15 minutes or less, barring any lost time. That doesn't seem, I mean, someone who's spent a lot of time in kitchens, that doesn't seem physically possible as enough time to make dough caramelize. <laughs> I don't know, but it, it tastes good. <laughs> it's got a nice oven then. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, no. Um, so, yeah, what do you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get uh, just sausage and onions, no cheese. What type of sausage? Uh, I'm just going to say sausage. You're gonna you're gonna have to tell them what type of sausage. Okay. Yeah, right. just have pork or you know uh, yak or kangaroo or. Okay, sure. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, what do you want on your end? I would like uh, goat cheese and hard salami. All right, cool. Uh, there's a couple more boxes over there out by the car. I'm gonna go get some pizza. All right. All right. Cool. Okay, and I will go get a box. Hey! Wow, that's a big box. Oh, let's well, see. Let's let's see if I can open up. Hmm. Let's see. Maybe take it apart. Okay. Let's see. We have overcoat. No, what? It, this is well. This is weird. This way. This way too big for anyone in DB's family to fit. It's it's a it's well. It's like well, it looks like it looks like a union suit. It kind of looks like those, you know, uh, long complete underwear. But it's got all these wires and it's silver. Uh, I don't know if it's like firefighting and it's. But it's got these cogs and gears. Uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. And it's light too. This whole thing is like like just ounces. You know what? I, I, maybe maybe it was part of a of a, a steampunk role playing, at or uh, I mean a steampunk uh, cosplaying. And oh, this is now uh, this looks like uh, Buck Rogers ready the gun. It must be part of the cosplay. Ooh, but it, it's it's hot. Okay, uh, what else have we got here? Well, that's a. That's a heavy book. Let's see. It is Grey's Anatomy. Okay. But wait wait a minute. This not this is it, it looks like the original anatomy book, but it's not a human, it's like gray aliens. I wonder what they do with a tribesobador. And why we would have to remove it. Okay, let me take this stuff into the house. 
party. Pizza party. Come on, everybody. So pizza should be here in uh, by the time the episode's done. Okay, excellent. Hey, um, what is this stuff? Uh, the I, I bought it out of that big box. Oh, I got it at an estate sale for about five hundred bucks. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's one of those uh, storage locker things. They clear it out and they go, "Hey, five hundred bucks, oh, okay. sight unseen." Yeah, there's a bunch of masks and uh, some like uh, I don't know, some plastic stuff in there and uh, some old vacuum tubes. Oh well, you can never have enough vacuum tubes. No. So yeah, stay out of there. It's uh, okay. <laughs> and if you saw anything that looked like a hand of fate, it was fake. Okay. All right. I did not see anything that looked like hands of fate. Well, that's good. Around Oleander with David This doesn't have a theme song yet. Write us a theme song. Or don't. Here we go. You can always go to our paint store. Okay, cool. Uh, paint it black. Sure. You can get any color on the rainbow as long as it's black. All right. But you can get any type of paint from house paint to car paint to spray paint to model paint to any type of paint uh, as long as it's black. Okay, gotcha. Cool. Uh, yeah, and the nice thing is no, no matter when you're there, uh, the Muzak is always playing uh, Rolling Stones. <laughs> what else do we got around town? Well, so, you know, right next to the, the, the freeway, it, it's, uh, you know, that little store where you can buy, like, things, Mount Hood, hoodies, and, you know, T-shirts and things that say Oleander. Oh, yeah, I was going to uh, get some stuff there for uh, when I go back to Portland next time. Yeah, yeah, so that's a... Uh, that's, uh, uh, Joni loves Chotskys. Gotcha. Uh, it's run by Joni uh, Cunningham. Uh, uh, yeah, she'll talk your ear off. But yeah, so that's if you want to get anything that has like Oleander on it or sure. something. That that's the place, or or Mount Hood, or Oregon, or or, or you know Sasquatch stuff. Cool, cool. So uh, I don't know if you've been to Colshack's uh, uh, Shake Shack. No. Say that one five <laughs> times fast. I'll pass. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Gavin Colshack, he he makes. Um, he makes Chicago-style shakes. I'm not really sure what they are other than a little greasy, but I like them. Okay. <laughs> Chicago-style shake. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. And then also, um, you know, by... Uh, um, so after... So you may have... There's a, only hundreds lucky that, you know, for a town this size, we actually have... A halfway decent supermarket, uh-huh. uh, but if I don't know if you've been in it, but it's full of taxidermy. Okay. Um, doesn't seem to have so there. There's there's you know deer heads and antelopes sure. and lynx yeah. and pheasants and you know, uh, uh, but if they're closed, you can always you know late at night. Uh, you can always run over to uh, Bait and Bullets right on the river. Oh, yeah. Uh, and basically, yeah. I mean, if you needed... So mainly they're... Mainly they... They cater to people going out hunting and, you know, people going fishing on the Clackamas. But you can get, you know, snacks and, uh, you know, they have... So they have, um, you know, basically, you know, 
junk food or stuff, you know, thrown in the microwave or, or pre-made sandwiches. But you basically get anything for your hunting and fishing stuff. And you get license there, live baits, uh, you know, night crawlers. You even get like rods and reels. Uh, but then they sell ammunition uh, and beer. They sell a lot of beer. Yeah, no, they have beer a better beer selection than the uh, grocery store does. Yeah, they, yeah. So and, and ice, you can get. They have a nice ice selection too. <laughs> well, that's good to know. And then I don't know if you get the place right next to it. Uh, it it's uh, Ed's. I don't know if you ever. If, I don't know if you've met Ed yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I actually yeah. uh, brought my VCR in there. Oh, cool. Yeah. So he, yeah, he, it's a TV and um, uh, radio and other electronics store and. You know, his, his model since, you know, the 1980s has always been, you know, um, this stuff ain't cheap. Let me fix it instead of buying a new one. Yeah. Uh, and he basically, yeah, he does surprisingly good business, you know, in uh, a world where uh, electric is just sort of disposable. <laughs> you can always tell and when you're out like in the country. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, it looks like you're going to have to chase that rooster off the front yard. Oh, man, Al. It's... Hey, roosters love graveyards. I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so have you have you seen the um, have you seen the uh, the uh, oleander bird? No, it's the oleander bird. So it's the Transylvania uh, naked neck. Okay. If you haven't seen one yet, go ahead and, and Google it. So they're they're a type of chicken, but they have this long neck with no no feathers on it. And we have a couple down on the farm if you want to see them. They will actually, they will ride the back of the goats. But yeah, so that's one of the parades they have is, you know, uh, uh, the uh, Transylvania Naked Net Chicken Days. But huh. uh, you're going to find a lot of those. You're going to find a lot of those roosters. Uh, so yeah, um, you're, you're probably going to be waking up by the, the calls of the uh, Transylvania Naked Neck Rooster. Huh. <laughs> I just looked it up on my phone. Those things are... Those things are fun, interesting. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be too mean yeah. to those chickens. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, that's a bird. There's a there's a uh, another bird. Uh, so they uh, there's a silky, which is like really silky feathers, uh -huh, uh -huh. and they mate the two, and they they call them showgirls. But you got to be very careful when you're looking up showgirls, other you're going to get a, a really crappy '80s movie. If, so you got to put showgirls chickens. Okay. I feel like you could get something even worse if you did that. <laughs> Probably. Up next, we're going to be talking about some stuff. We're going to be talking about our personal projects, and we're going to be talking about the future of Oleander and this show. All right. Coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Great Canadian Peanut Butter. It's great. It's Canadian. It's peanut butter. Don't ask us where we get the peanuts. It's Canada. We import them. But it's great Canadian peanut butter. Made in Canada by Canadians. Great Canadian peanut butter. In grocery stores, in Oleander. Both of them. Hey, if you are looking for beer and bullets or bait, do I have a place for you? It is Bait and beer. That's right. Two of your favorite things together. You like to go out hunting. You like to drink beer. Hopefully you're not doing this two at the same time, and hopefully you're licensed for both. But you know what? 
Bait and Beer's got you covered. They can hook you up with licensing. They are not a DMV, so don't ask them about that. But you can take care of some of your tags and stuff like that. Also, they have a wide selection of beer and bait. I can find my favorite imports there. And I'm a super snooty guy from Portland. Bait and beer. It's the best. No. No, they don't. They, they, they don't have everything. I mean, you're not going to find, like, really weird, hard to find. Oh, 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 no. You guys have that? They have really weird, hard to find bait and beer. And bullets. Bait and beer and bullets. It's down by the river. You know, with the rest of the shops. Down by the river. All right, here we go. Back with DB and Dave talking about stuff. I'm DB, by the way. Thank you for listening, and here we go. That was two minutes of me yammering. All right, back to the show. Probably. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you get your haircuts done at home. Uh, currently, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we got a pretty decent barber. All right. Um, it's uh, Todd Sweeney. It's on, uh, it's on Park Avenue. Okay. Um, but um, you know how, you know, with Pinky, there's there's uh, you know Doctor uh, Tuscadero. There's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's three others. There's four vets in town, right? Sure. And, and no doctors. So the, so the rumor is that like the locals go to uh, Todd Sweeney for uh, leeches and and bloodletting when they're sick. Oh. I don't, but that that's the story. Okay. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm good on that stuff. But that sounds yeah, yeah. okay. Huh. And, um, so that sounds like uh, quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of interesting stuff around town. Yeah, it's, for for a small town, it really it really is. Uh, you, you you like uh, Chinese food? I love Chinese food. Okay, so we got a really good uh, uh, Mandarin restaurant. It's called the uh, uh, China Syndrome. Okay. And it's actually run by two nuclear engineers who, who defected from China, uh, the foods. Uh, and the story is that they cook everything with this big, giant microwave okay. uh, in the back. So I don't know, but I've driven by, like at night, and all of a sudden, all the, the, the light posts, the lights just start going out as, huh. as you drive by. So, all right. But, but, it's, but they, they make this incredible... Uh, General Sal. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. I, I, I enjoy American Chinese food quite a bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and worst case scenario, you know, uh, you know, Portland's only like 26 miles. You can always drive into Portland if you... Oh, yeah. Yeah. 26 miles. I, it doesn't feel... It feels a lot longer. <laughs> well, so, so it's 20 miles. So it's a couple things. First of all, everything takes longer in Oleander. Sure. But it's, it's 26 miles from post office to the nearest post office, uh, according to Google. Okay. That, that isn't going um, the road. So the road twists a lot, and it follows the river. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's more than 26 miles if you're driving on the road. Gotcha. And, and it definitely, and especially the first couple times, it seems like it takes forever. Yeah, yeah, it, no. it, Even going to Boring and Sandy, you know, the first time I ever drove there, I thought, that takes forever. And it, it only like six, you know, you know, 10, 12 miles. 
Yeah, boring and sandy. Uh, somehow I've managed to forget to go to those two places. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, I'll pick that up later. Okay. But yeah, that's basically the town. Cool. Cool, very cool. Well, that's been Around Town with... Uh, Dave and DB. Or DB and Dave. And Dave will tell me more about town. Um, probably going to be doing some shopping soon or doing something of some nature that I'm going to need some help and finding some stuff around town. So thanks again, okay. Dave. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get back to this uh, moving stuff. Pizza's going to be here pretty soon. And uh, pretty soon we're going to... It's not just going to be these episodes with me and Dave just talking about stuff. We're going to have other people on the show. We're going to have guests on the show. And uh, actually segments from shows that we produce on the show once I get a little bit more settled in and we have a few more things produced. But one segment I would like to talk about. Dave, as you know, I've been working for uh, Mayor Cooper. Love that guy. Mayor yep. Cooper. I've uh, been doing some odd jobs for him. I go to the store and pick him up packs of rock here and there. I, uh, I, you know, polish his car. I, uh, I, he, he, he and I know this sounds terrible, but it, it's more like, has he had to pack his parachute? Oh, no, no, no. He hasn't. He, yeah, no. He's, he's, he's a huge skydiver and, and, you know, sometimes he'll have people like pack his parachutes for him. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I know uh, he, he talks about going out to the airport, and I was like, this town has an airport, but I think it's him and, like, a couple other people. Like, uh, what's her name? Uh, what's her name, Oleander? Uh, felony? Yeah, the spooky lady. Anyway, yeah, I, I know she has something out at the airport, and he has something out at the airport, and I always feel like there's something weird going on out at the airport. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I've driven by it. I've never been there, but... But but we digress. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Mayor Cooper, he said, "Can you get rid of the rats underneath uh, City Hall? Can you get rid of the rats underneath the library?" And at first, I thought, "Is he is he speaking metaphorically?" Uh, <laughs> and no, no, it's it, there was there was some stuff that was all messed up, some things that were chewed up or torn up or something down there. And then I saw something that looked like little tools, and I was like, "Do rats use tools?" And I don't know if it's from, like, a display of, like, a miniatures display of, like, this is how Oleander was built. This is the railroad that brought the graveyard, or something like that. But they look like little railroad tools and, like, little woodworking tools and stuff like that. And I don't know. I haven't been able to find where it goes, put them back into their display or anything like that. And it made me think of two things. It made me think of, uh, I don't know, have you heard about those dolls, those fashion dolls that were found at the Mary Hill Museum uh, just in the last year that were part of this, like... Editor's note, I was talking about dolls that were created in Paris post-World War II to help uh, influence the fashion industry. They didn't have enough fabric to really do a lot of uh, shows and stuff, so they used these small figure dolls. Uh, it was found in the Mary Hill Museum in Washington State recently, I believe in the last few years. Anyway, that's what I was talking about. Back to the show. No, I'm not. 
uh, it's just something that's on the tip of my tongue, and I'm like trying to. I should have researched it. It's something that I've been like trying to remember a little bit more. I heard about it on a podcast. It's driving me crazy. I don't have anything more to talk about that. But it was like these dolls that no one knew quite what they were for, and they just kind of ended up at the Mary Hill Museum. They ended up being of like something a lot more significant. And I'm hoping maybe it's something kind of like that. But the other thing that I keep thinking about is goblins, and I wanted to talk to you about goblins. How do you use goblins in a Dungeons and Dragons game other than just as in kind of like early threshold guardians? So so that is my sort of, you know, that's the first thing is the goblins that ambush the party on the road. That's the, you know, the first thing I throw out. Sure. Um, but so... One campaign I'm thinking about, and definitely a lot of, there's a lot of goblin stuff on, um, in, in fifth edition. Okay. Came out. And um, so one of the campaigns working on is basically this big war where the, you know, the goblins and the orcs and the bugbears come in and they attack uh, the druid lands. Oh, okay. And so the druids recruit everybody to sort of push them back. Um, and so they make this really good sort of foot soldier, but you know, you have all those goblins that are, are, you know, they're part of an army. So you've got the goblins leading the kobolds and they're sort of, sort of almost like a twisted Klingon that, you know, this is a great day to die and, you know, uh -huh. charge with their spears and. So I, I mean, that's once the characters get you know past eight third level, you're thinking, well, you know, goblins aren't you know a challenge anymore, but you can always beef up goblins. Sure. Uh, how how do you use them? Oh, um, <laughs> uh, goblins can find spells. Goblins can find potions. Goblins can find siege weapons. Goblins can find mind control apparatuses and control uh, local law enforcement or the king or I feel like goblins are kind of like not treated as intelligent as goblins can be <laughs> and I I don't know I feel like one of the reasons that goblins are uh, goblins aren't like necessarily dumb or goblins aren't necessarily like I mean they're fairly ingenious of like I don't know I've, I've had like goblins or people uh, people uh, role-play goblins or uh, run goblins in a campaign uh, fairly ingenious. And I, I think maybe possibly, you know, goblins just tend to be disadvantaged. And it's like, well, if you live in a ruins underneath a mountain or something like that, you probably don't have the resources to necessarily take over a village. But say you give goblins resources, those goblins, they could probably take over a hamlet quite easily. <laughs> no, definitely uh, and and what they might lack in, in you know strength stats and hit points that they, they make up for numbers mm -hmm. and you know they make up for determination now they used to way back I, I don't know how did you, if you played a lot of uh, like a d and d advanced d and d which was basically like the second one of the first major mass produced ones yes but so they used to remember they. So they would give like monsters, sort of. They would make them like shamans. Yes. Uh, and which would give them basically say, well, you know, take the first three levels of 
uh, of arcane spells and clerical spells, you know, combine them. So, yeah, I think in D&D, goblins have always had sort of this rare but pretty powerful magical background mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. when, you know, when you encountered them. Yeah, no, and, and I always felt like there was no reason why goblins couldn't, like, you couldn't have, like... I mean, I, I haven't had, like, goblin necromancers, but, like, what if, like, I don't know, goblins... And... Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, you were bre- No, you were breaking up there, sorry. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, no, no, there's no reason you couldn't have goblins, like, take over a small town or have goblins, like... I don't know, infiltrate like a business and like take over a business and people don't realize for quite some time that goblins are actually the ones who are in control and not say the person who everyone's like, oh yeah, they're the greatest person ever. It's like, you know, it's not goblins who's the face of the business. It's this charming person who for some reason or another is in league with goblins. There's, I don't know, I feel like you could do a lot with goblins. And you could definitely... Um, I mean, I think they kind of get to, to kobolds, but I think goblins are, are kind of thought of as trap setters. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And But what if you make your trap more than just like, you know, a pit trap or something like that? What if it's like a long con, like <laughs> a social trap of some sort? <laughs> and, and, you know, and there, there's, of course, goblins, but, you know, in D&D, there, there's three goblinoids. There's the goblins, mm-hmm. the hobgoblins, and the bugbears. So, you know, this, I usually, like, on my first level, there's always, like, usually one hobgoblin on the boss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you could use hobgoblin stats or bugbear stats and say, well, nope, they're goblins. Something that just popped into my brain is, uh, did you ever play the module, I think it's called A2, Escape from the Slaver's Stockade? So, so, yes, but we're talking decades ago, so I'm not sure I remember any of the details. There was a creature in it called a boggle, and the boggle was kind of goblinoid, except for it had, like, purpley, blue-black skin and was oily. It secreted an oil that made it hard to grip that was non-flammable. They were very adamant about it being non-flammable. And that's one thing that I've always, like, how come I've never ran across this? Was it something from someone's book that, like, hey, TSR? Don't do this. <laughs> or, or like, how, 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 I don't know. It's like, uh, I don't know. Is that, that a goblinoid type thing you've uh, run across in other uh, campaign supplements or books or anything like that? Well, well, there's another one, too, in Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard about the Nilbog. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're basically goblins possessed by a trickster spirit. Mm-hmm. So, so they're out there. They're the, they're the ones, you know, they're, they're sort of, you know... Th- you can play them anything to, you know, where it's just this, uh, you know, goblin that's just joking around, just making fun and terrible puns, and mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. It's to, to, you know, to a, to a, you know, a goblin, you know, version of Batman's Joker. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he, so you know, he's just down out there. But the thing is, you, you kill the Nilbog, and its spirit just goes to another one. You, okay. You, you can't wipe them out. You know, something fun my friends and I did, and I think probably like 8th or ninth grade, we decided that we were going to play a group of goblins. Everyone was going to be like, I'll be the goblin fighter, and I'll be the goblin rogue, and I'll be the goblin cleric. And 
someone was like, I'll be the goblin bard. And uh, everyone laughed at me. And I went, no, I'll be the goblin bard. It'll be awesome. <laughs> oh, that sounds like an awesome character. And yeah, no, it was like songs of disadvantage. And, you know, it's like my goblin would scream out stuff and playing away on a broken instrument. And all the good guys would cover their ears and we'd grab their stuff and run and be like, yeah, goblins rule. So, so yeah, I mean, so... You, and you could definitely play goblins like petty annoyance. Sure. But then when they really come down, like when they bring Big Brother Goblin, then your 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 players are almost you know you know they're 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 lulled into this. Oh, it's just goblins and you know Big Brother Goblins. Oh yeah, not not to mention uh, goblins and their relationship with like bugbears and orcs and whatnot and <laughs> other denizens of the Underdark and. And you know, GURPS made a an entire goblin book. Oh, and I haven't played it. Yeah. So they they have a set in sort of uh, you know 12th century England, mm -hmm. where the entire society is goblins. Oh wow! They have an entire book on that, which I I haven't owned, but people who played it just tell me it's hilarious. Huh. That sounds pretty good. That sounds that sounds really interesting. Yeah, and it, it's like you know medieval London, but everybody's goblins. Oh wow, that's cool. That sounds really nice, huh? Well, I'm gonna check that out and maybe uh, beef up my goblin game. And uh, speaking of beefing stuff up, I think uh, that beefy sausage pizza's here. Okay, well, it sounds good to me. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Dave and DB on D&D. &D. Hey, everyone. How are you doing? Hope you're all staying safe and clean and healthy and not being jerks out there. That's what I like. People who are clean, healthy, staying safe, and not being jerks. You can get on my cool list that way. Get cool points with me. Speaking of cool points, you've been going, hey... I haven't been earning any cool points by listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. That show doesn't exist anymore. It exists, it doesn't exist. There's back episodes of it, but I'm probably not going to be making new episodes of it. But elements of that show are being folded into this show. No, not the poor editing in the part where I don't talk uh, coherently for five minutes, but yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep on having the same guests. I'm going to keep on having Dave part of the stuff. I'm going to keep on being me. And People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos will be part of this kind of uh, spiritual successor to it. Well, no, it's, it's the actual successor to it. But People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos and Black Clock Audio Tales are very much part of the architecture of this show. It's how I learned to do what I do and how I'm going to make this show even better, learning from mistakes learning from advice from talking to the people that I talk to making this show. And I don't know, I just want to make a better show for you, the listeners. I feel like maybe I was a little bit lazy here and there uh, with People's Guide and uh, definitely super lazy with Black Clock Audio Tales. But I want to do this. And I want to make things right. You know, do a little bit of tighter job editing. Hopefully you enjoy this show. And... You let us know, but Black Clock Audio Tales 
and People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos won't be appearing anytime soon on this RSS feed. And if it does, it's going to be kind of an April Fool's or surprise Christmas episode or something like that. Here's Dave talking about his project, and then we're going to get back to the show. All right, here we go. Hey, everybody, it's Dave. Um, so you may have heard the, the big news. Um, so DB is moving away from the City of Roses to the uh, City of Graves. Yeah, uh, he's moving to Oleander. And uh, you, of course, I don't know if you know that Oleander got its name because it started out as a, a cemetery, as a, a place for people of Portland to uh, bury their dead um, away from the actual physical city uh, of Portland back in the 1890s. goes all the way up to about World War II. But, hey, yeah, DB is, is moving. Um, and he's picking up a, a couple of, you know, just temp jobs. Everything is tight with COVID-19. Uh, but uh, his partner's got a, a job uh, doing upkeep on the Oleander Mansion. Uh, in fact, they've got a little place uh, between the mansion and uh, Glorious Resurrection uh, Cemetery. Uh, and, uh, he has got, uh, a couple of hats, uh, he, or working jobs. Uh, one is he's, uh, apparently getting a position in, uh, Boxed In, which is the name of the box factory here at, uh, Oleander. And then, uh, Mayor Dan Cooper seems to have him do, uh, you know, little side jobs, uh, attend some pest control. So, uh, I'm not sure if he's actually talked to uh, the official exterminator of Oleander, but uh, I'm sure they'll get along just fine. But uh, DB's got a um, unpaid position. Uh, he's being basically the producer slash engineer of uh, Oleander's uh, you know uh, local radio uh, community radio. Uh, it is called. KZOM, KZOM 1140 on your AM dial, um, and he's basically doing some of the programs and interviews with the people of Oleander, uh, and including you know because he's got a he's got a, like a decade long history of producing a podcast. I mean, uh, you know, podcasts uh, you know before they were really podcasts. Uh, so he is going to um, have us, uh, you know, he's going to bring some really good professionalism to uh, the project, which is called uh, Radio Free Oleander. Uh, and as such, he's going to cut and paste some of my stories and Dave's underground goat shenanigans. Uh, and it's all going to be basically under the uh, Radio Free Oleander banner. Uh, and I think this is going to maybe double our listeners to 12, yeah, but I'm not sure. Uh, but it, it's good because we're going to have some, some professionalism and, you know, it's good for DP to be doing something when, um, you know, because otherwise it's just a boring little hick town. I love you, boring little hick town, but you're a boring little hick town. 
So first of all, those of you who are listening to this on the internet, uh, Radio Free Oleander is a program where uh, you know locals basically tell their story, uh, and uh, DB and I are gonna get together. We're gonna do a D and D on D and D. You know, Dan and Dave on Dungeons and Dragons, or Dave and Dan on Dungeons and Dragons. We haven't quite figured out who the first D is and who's the second D. Uh, I've heard that uh, the great-granddaughter of the uh, founder of the city of Oleander, uh, Josias Oleander, and his great-granddaughter is uh, Felony. I heard Felony is going to uh, have a show called uh, Love Oleander Style. So a lot of just, uh, I think they're going to be doing the GOAT report. Uh, and then for people who are listening on the internet, uh, DB is basically going to take the best of and splice it all into just something that they can listen to. I, I think he's going to tape uh, the uh, Oleander, uh, oh, uh, Oleander Book Club, which I think that'll be a lot of fun. So, uh, so it's going to be a good program. And like I said, I think all, I'm going to go out on a limb here, all 13 of you listening are going to really enjoy it. Um, but, you know, we finished up the first year of Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, or Doug's, and Doug's is not going away. Uh, but Doug's will be part of the greater, uh, Radio Free Oleander project. And, uh, D.B., um, who I think has quite often listened to these tapes that I would send him and shrug at them and think that I was making it up. I, I mean, I, I, I think he does. But he asked me to kind of explain where Doug's came from and, and, and what's going on. So, let me introduce myself. I am a man of wealth and taste. Just kidding, that was for the Rolling Stone fans out there. Um, my name is Dave. And up to about... Four years ago, I lived in Southern California, and I was married, and that was breaking up. I was in a job, and my employers basically wanted to cut employees, so they were putting lots of pressure on people so that they would either quit or find some way to fire them, and DB calls this the blah, 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 my life sucks part of my life. And, and there's a lot of truth. And then something happened. Um, I had this uncle, uh, Uncle Owen. And Uncle Owen isn't really an uncle. You know, both my parents called him uncle. All four of my grandparents called him uncle. Uh, he'd just always been in the family. He just seemed like this, always looked like his late 40s hippie guy. Uh, and he owned a goat farm in Oregon, and we visited it a couple of times. And, you know, as a kid, it was fun. Uh, but um, he passed away. And all of a sudden, this lawyer comes to me and says, you are, you've inherited, you know, his goat farm. And, you know, of course, even the goat farm is named Uncle Owen's Goat Farm. And I was just in this terrible place in my life. And it's just like, oh, great. This is this great blessing. 
uh, and I know very little about goats. But so I pack up my Jeep, and I drive all the way up from Southern California up to the very sort of toppest northern part of Oregon uh, to uh, Oleander, Oregon. I drive past it five times because there's no real signs to get here. So I'm in Oleander, Oregon, and I inherit this farm uh, with, at the time, I mean, we had good 60 goats. And the business was doing well. Um, basically, these are uh, Nubian goats. They are a milk breed. And take the milk and make it into cheese. And we sell the cheese to, you know, artesian stores or, or you know, specialty uh, food pods in Portland. And you can guess, Portland's a foodie city. So it sells pretty well. So I basically spend the first year of being... Basically, I spent the first year doing everything I could to drive the business into bankruptcy. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about goats. Goats are not happy with me. I'm not milking them right. I'm not feeding them right. You know, the goats are not happy. Uh, I'm having problems making the, the cheese. I'm having problems making deliveries on time. But it clicks eventually. And all of a sudden, you know... I like living out in the country. I love living out on a farm. I even love those stubborn little goats. And things are going well. And, you know, I, I'm happy. And then I got two goats. And these are twins. And their names are Sonia and Solomon. And they seem to be smart goats. I mean, they're like almost dangerously smart goats. Uh, and they're clever. They can work out at, you know, six months. They can figure out how to get out of their pen. Uh, and at a year, though, they're not growing any bigger than, than, than they were six months. And, and I'm worried, but, you know, my friend, our, our uh, veterinarian, uh, Jennifer uh, uh, Pinky Tuscadero, we all, everybody calls her Dr. Pinky. Uh, she says, nah, they're healthy. They're just not getting any bigger and she's sort of star surprised and we feed them and but they're healthy they're, they're just not growing and part of me likes this because when goats are babies they got the best things of puppies and kitties they're curious they'll snuggle they'll make noises and then they grow up and become stubborn mean beasts but you know we don't know why they're not getting any bigger but they're healthy and then one night I go out, and the goats are glowing. They're literally glowing in the dark. And, you know, so Pinky and I, we test them, and there's nothing unusual we can find. We even use Geiger. She even got Geiger counters. And, you know, they, they're not radioactive. And in a couple of days, I see these goats walk through a wall. They walk through the shed that, you know, I haven't even noticed about. And when I check in the shed, I mean, I'd opened it a couple times when I got the property. I find a secret door. And this door leads to this deep underground laboratory or base, or I'm not sure what it is, that was, as near as we can tell, was set up by the Illuminati. 
Now we call it the Illuminati because it's a secret society. Uh, but we don't, um, we're, we've got a lot of questions about this. It's not probably the Bavarian Illuminati that was set up in 1776. It seems to be, it's a secret organization that has a whole lot of tech and a whole lot of magic. But it's not an organization we'd ever heard of. There's no name, so we call it the Illuminati. Uh, the Illuminati, like I said, the so-called Illuminati, seem to have left Earth in 2012. So, you know, for eight years or so, this place has just sat there abandoned. And there's a lot of interesting things. Uh, and if you've ever listened to Doug's, you, you know, you, you've heard, uh, heard me describe it. They, they built... They built a car out of friggin' chocolate. And, and believe it or not, the, the windshield is transparent chocolate. Um, there's, there's an entire U.S. destroyer with Tesla coils underneath in, in this room. Um, and it's the Eldridge. You may have heard that from uh, the Philadelphia experiment. And, and I was told, oh, I read... Um, I mean, in a reference to that the Eldridge was sold to the Greeks and then it was lost and it was found by a reporter in a Greek version of Playboy and then scrapped. But no, it's sitting here. And all of a sudden I'm realizing two things. The government has hidden underneath my farm this cursed destroyer that can phase through reality and that the Greek language version of Playboy has lied to me. And honestly, I'm not sure which one upset me the most. So I find, you know, since January, while I've been out here, I find all sorts of unusual things from a dimension to the great celestial library to Mothman, uh, to just a lot of things. And I've gone over and talked a little bit about some of them. Uh, a cursed guitar, a cursed uh, radio, uh, a cursed costume from the original, uh, original TV series Star Trek. A lot of cursed things. Um, and so what I do is... I have a bit of a, 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 I think it used to be the communications center for this uh, underground base, but I've set it up and it's my Dave cave. And here I record what I find. And then I give it to DB and he cuts out all my blathering and stuff that makes me look like an idiot. And then he puts it out as Dave's underground goat shenanigan. So now that he's here and he can physically see the lab, I think that uh, we might be maybe getting a little bit more uh, of stories about the lab here. So, so Doug's is not going away. It's just going to be part of a, a greater program. And uh, we're hoping that you're going to listen to it. I'll listen to it, Dave, but I kind of have to so that I can uh, edit out all the ums, buzz, guzz, does, and uhs. Anyway. Hey everyone, thank you again for getting this far into the show. We're about to hit the hour mark. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you for listening. 
And remind you, you can help out the show by going anywhere that you listen to podcasts, whether it be Podbean, PodApp, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those folk. Yeah, it, it just helps us out. And also, you can help us out by going to the shop at pgttcm.com or by joining us on Facebook. And you just have to look up Radio Free Oleander for that to happen. We also have the Oleander Book Club. And yeah, so you can you can check any of those out. Dave still has Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. And here we go with more Dave. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Okay, we are back from station identification break. Once again, this is Farmer Dave, and I am finishing up my 8 to 10 o'clock night shift, and I appreciate the people of the city of Oleander who have spent this last couple hours with me. And before we uh, sort of finish up here, I just want to remind... all our listeners out there, that at 10 o'clock, Oleander's own Louis Otowafa is going to take over this chair, and he's going to cover two hours from 10 to midnight, Polynesian Hakas. Yes, Polynesian War Chants. And um, I've, I'm going to probably stay up just to listen to that. But we've got a new program here on uh, Radio Free Oleander. And this is a, a new program I'm really excited about. I moved into Oleander about three years ago. And Oleander is mu- much more than, you know, just a city or even a community. Definitely much more than, say, the largest cemetery in Oregon. It's the people. And so we're going to have a new program here. And where I'm going to talk about a story that was told to me by the people of Oleander. And it's going to be called The People of Oleander. Now, when I tell you these stories, I am not guaranteeing that they're true. What I am saying is that they were told to me. And I'm telling you the story back as faithfully as I can remember and as it was recounted to me. But I'm, I'm not going to say for sure that this is what happened and that, you know, there's not maybe a little bit of exaggeration. So I, I'm just telling you the story as it was told to me. And each of these stories is going to showcase one particular citizen of Oleander. And I'm sure that other stories of these people will be coming up And I do have permission to tell it. So let's start off with our very first episode of The People of Oleander. And it is called El Dios de Conjitos, or The God of the Little Rabbits. And it features Javier Pascual. A couple days ago, I was over at the Automat, and I was having lunch with um, Javier Pascual. Uh, if you don't know uh, Javier, he is Oleander's pizza delivery boy. Now, we have a lot in common in the fact that 
neither of us were born here in Oleander. We're both California kids. Uh, I grew up Ventura County area. He grew up in San Diego. Uh, his parents uh, immigrated to the United States. And like many children of, the Im of immigrants, he loved this country. He, he is extremely patriotic. So when he graduated high school, he joins the Army. Uh, and he spends 10 years in, in the Army. Uh, he rises to the rank of Staff Sergeant. Uh, he serves a year uh, in Afghanistan, a year in Iraq. And then for two years, he's part of something called Detachment Zulu, uh, Zulu Force. Now, you can't get Javier really to talk about it, but online and checking, and looking at conspiracy websites, from what I gather, Detachment Zulu is the United States of America's covert warfare program against the supernatural. And he spent two years in them, and something happened, and he's injured. And he, the story is, and, and I don't know if this is true or not, his face is deformed. Now, I don't know that for sure, because the two years that I have known Javier, he always wears a luchadora mask. And, you know, I, I respect that. Uh, you know, I grew up in Southern California. I love you know, Santos and, you know, the Blue Devil. Um, and so nobody really gives him a hard time because he's a disabled veteran. I mean, he's physically, you know, capable. He walks. I mean, he's not. But he, he's, he's a veteran. So the people of Oleander definitely give him a pass. And, you know, he wears different masks different times. Uh, and we're... We were at the automat, and we were eating, and um, he says, you know, Dave, I saw something strange. You know, I've been all over this world, you know, fighting Uncle Sam's battles, but I'd never experienced what happened to me in the last couple days. And then he goes on and he tells the story. So he's finishing up you know, his, his nightly rounds, and he's got a delivery. Um, Darcy Stark has ordered a, uh, a vegetarian green goddess with uncooked avocados on the top. And she, he said, that, you know, six times she put in the order, avocados uncooked. You know, how many times in a, a, a single order can you remind that? And of course, you know, uh, Javier does a lot of the cooking of the pizzas, uh, too, so, you know, he makes sure it's perfect. He gets this big order from um, the the mayor's wife, uh, uh, Tiffany uh, Cooper. Uh, she goes by uh, Taffy. You know, Taffy apparently is having one of her singles parties up there. So, uh, up on uh, 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 Lynx Hill. And so she orders two pepperonis, Two everythings, a Hawaiian, you know, pineapple and Canadian bacon, 
and she orders a um, uh, oh a fungi from Yugoth. Now that's uh, and if you haven't eaten at the pie hole, this is my favorite pizza. Uh, basically, it's got on the topping. It's got little tiny meatballs and goat cheese. So my suggestion next time uh, you're eating at the pie hole, uh, which is our local pizzeria, order a fungi from Yugoth. So he drops off the uh, pizza at Darcy's, and then he heads up to the mayor's mansion, which is in Lynx Hill. Uh, it's just right, you know, it's up on the hill part of the town. And this is where all the, the Mick mansions are. If you're not familiar with the term Mick mansion, these are basically sort of cheap, generically built, ostentatious, large buildings and up in Lynx Hill. Lynx Hill, of course, gets its name from, from lynxes, bobcats. There were at least, especially uh, in the 1890s when they were first moving in, that whole area was just covered with bobcats. And there's still some theirs. Not as many bobcats as, say, you know, since the town's been built, but there's still quite a few bobcats up there. Um, there's also this local rabbit, and I don't know the scientific name for this rabbit. Uh, it has sort of rounded ears, so it's not the big long ears. It's got a big fluffy cotton tail, they're brown, and they're not really big. Um, and these rabbits, whatever they are called, they are the apex prey. Everything in Northern Oregon eats these rabbits, including you know, some of the citizens of Oleander. I'm not judging, but vultures and lynxes and coyotes and they and I'll be driving sometimes at night and I swear these rabbits will dash out in front of my car at like this 45 degree angle and it's like they're aiming for my tires. So everything that can kill these little brown round eared bunnies does. And the only reason that they still exist is because they breed like bunnies. So Javier is telling me he's about rounding a corner, about to arrive at the, the mayor's mansion, and then around the corner, this little little round-eared bunny runs out, and it's just just a silhouette in his in his headlights. And right behind it is this lynx, this bobcat. And the bobcat's a good four or five times the size of this rabbit. And the cat has got its claws out and it, you know, about to just rip out the side of this rabbit. And the light, he's just spotlighted in, in Javier's headlights. And the bobcat stops. The bobcat freezes. The rabbit keeps on running. And the bobcat looks up, sees the, the car coming, and runs off the other direction. You know, Javier thinks, well, that's interesting. You know, that's something I don't see every night. You know, I've got a story I can tell. Uh, but that's not where it gets strange. So Javier, he can, you know, he can be working up to midnight. So, you know, he's, he could be 2 o'clock in the morning by the time he gets home. So he usually sleeps in. And he gets up, 
and he goes outside and he sees his car. Now, to understand this story, you got to understand a couple things. Javier has seen some weird stuff out there. Javier wears this luchadora mask. Javier delivers pizza for the Oleander, you know, pizzeria, the pile. And Javier loves his car. And it's not really a car, it's this car-truck hybrid. It is this beautiful, gorgeous, highly polished, 1976 fourth-generation El Camino. You know, the type that's like half truck, half half car. And it is beautiful. I mean, it is museum quality. And the only time I've ever seen Javier in my life get mad was, you know, someone scratched his car. Well, he looks in it in the back, you know, where the, the truck parked. Someone had thrown this big lump of dirt in. And, you know, at first he gets mad, you know. But, you know, okay, you know, it doesn't really do any damage. He picks up this lump of dirt, and the dirt falls away, and inside this dirt are these little, tiny, wild carrots. Someone had threw in, pulled up this dirt and carrots, and threw it in the back of his truck. And, you know, these are the wild carrots. They grow here. They don't grow very big because, you know, they're wild, but... Okay, that was a weird thing, but, you know, Javier figures it's kids. So that night, Javier gets off late, but it's kind of convenient because his girlfriend, Betty, Betty is the um, one of the bartenders at uh, the uh, gun rack, and she's getting off late, so he agrees to, to meet her that night. So he pulls into the gun rack's uh, parking lot, and it's gravel, so he walks into the club, he meets Betty, and he walks her back to uh, the uh, El Camino. And all of a sudden, they hear on the other side of the gravel parking lot, this sort of noise, this rummaging sound. And like five or six of these little brown, round-eared rabbits just rush off. And they go over and they look. And they, they move the, the gravel around. And, you know, they sort of, like, you know, they, they were, with their paws, they were sort of burrowing in it. And Javier says, well, that's strange. And he's having all these strange sort of rabbit things happening. And then Betty looks at it and says, you know what? Those look like the English letters T and Y. Like, you know, you would use the letters T and Y, like, thank you, in a text. And you didn't want to spell the word out, thank you. So Javier, who has seen a lot of strange stuff, a lot of still classified strange stuff, he's getting weirded out by this. And the next night, he gets this order for a pizza. Now, in Oleander, you don't order pizza quite the way you would in a, a normal place. We are notorious for how spotty our cell phone service can be. Uh, I'm sure that if, you know, you're listening to DB, you know, I'm sure he's complaining about this because, you know, he's used to the sort of stable cell phone service in Portland, and now he moves over here to Oleander, and he just, 
you're, you're like, you'll send a text and it will come out in a couple of hours, maybe. I had, and I, I swear to you, I once texted Pinky, Pinky and she got the text five minutes before I sent it. I don't know how that's possible. And that'll be another story. But so in the 20s and the 30s, as this part of this Oleander City of the Future program, they set up a series of pneumatic tubes. And so what you do is if, you know, in fact, there's, there's a red one, it's 911, you know, yes, yeah, send that tube out with the red one with a help. And it gets to uh, the uh, tube operator who in the evening is, is Gladys. And Gladys will send it, you know, wherever it's supposed to be. There's a red one, the normal brass ones. And then there's the ones that have sort of this pizza on the, the end instead of, uh, you know, the, the painted pizzas. And that's the special ones that, that go to the pie hole. So he gets this pneumatic tube and it's asking for, you know, it's got, you know, 15 bucks in it and it's got this uh, request for cheese pizza and, um, you know, and an address up in Leeds Hill. So Javier, who knows every address in the city, he doesn't recognize it. And he's a little nervous, but he's got to go check it out. Now, as, you know, the late night pizza delivery guy, he is probably the most armed person in Oleander, where, you know, there's three guns per person here. So, you know, that, that's saying quite a bit. So he's uh, got his, you know, he's got his, his flak jacket, you know, his assortments of different weapons, and he heads up to this address. And then as he gets there, he sees something moving. There's something on the ground, and he hits the brakes on, on the El Camino, and there are dozens and dozens and just rows and rows of these little brown, round-eared rabbits. And he gets out of the vehicle, and he sees that there's one rabbit off to the side. And he doesn't know how he knows it, but he knows this is the rabbit that he saved from the leaf. And all of the other rabbits, they just get up on their their back paw, on their back legs, and they raise up their front paws, and they just raise them up and go back to the ground like three or four times, and then they all run away, just all directions, just rabbits all over. And he looks at the one rabbit, and he knows this is the rabbit he saved from the leaks, and he swears in the light. That rabbit is wearing a luchadora mask. And he doesn't know how he knows it, but he knows that somehow the rabbits now think that he is their god. That he is save them from the lynxes and all these cruel things that are happening. And that he is their god. In his own words, he has now become Dios los Coneitos. He is the God of the little rabbits. And this is hard to take in for a guy who was raised devout Catholic. And he gets home and he thinks about it. 
and he thinks about it the next day. And then he did something that he didn't do, you know, 10 years working for the military, two years as being, you know, the pie holes chief uh, driver. He calls in sick. He needs this day to figure out what is he going to do? You know, now that he is the divine savior of the little rabbits and that they worship him, what was he going to do? You know, does he convince them that, no, I'm just a human being? So I asked him, and he said, well, that last night he did go out and he did his pizza runs. But that when he goes up to Link's Hill, he drives with his high beams on. And I asked him, well, why? He says, so I could give the little rabbits a little more light. I don't know about a god or a divinity or... But, you know, as a human being, you know, maybe that's all we can do. Give those who are, maybe don't have everything that we have or the advantages that we have, a little more light. Hey, this is Farmer Dave, and you are listening to Radio Free Oleander, 1130 on your AM dial. And this has been... The people of Oleander. And I am signing out. So just want to say good night, listeners. Good night, Javier. Good night, little bunnies. Good night, Oleander. Is there anything you want to say, Dave? Nah. All right. Okay. <laughs> Until next time. Um, Keep your sword in its... Uh, yeah, no, we need to... If anyone has any... Oh, good... you know, the, uh, if, if you're going to roll, roll high. <laughs> okay. And I was going to say, if uh, anyone has any good catchphrases for any of the shows out there, we would love a catchphrase. If anyone has any music they'd like to donate, artwork, we're all about that. Thank you so much. And that's been us for Radio Free Oleander. I want my pizza. <laughs> All right, thanks. Again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Next episode will be a book club episode. And then after that, we're going to be talking more about what's going on at Oleander. Learn more about the people. Learn more about the shops. And I'm going to get to the bottom of this goblin thing. Do we have goblins? Do we have small folk? Do we have rats? Do we have goats? Uh, we'll figure it out. Also, I'm going to start talking about, uh, hey, what about... Uh, Weird fiction in other forms other than just uh, books. What about audio weird fiction? What about some of that music that came out of the 70s? Does that classify as weird fiction? Can Brian Eno be considered weird fiction? He's, he's like a musical Mackin. All right. Next time.